to the very end of our nine-month-long series. You know, we started with the key figures of the Bible, and we thought it was going to go through the summertime, and then we rolled into August, and then by the time we got to September, October, we were like, well, we might as well roll into the New Testament too and go ahead. And so now we are coming down. But listen, let me just tell you, it's 2017, it ends, okay? It's nine months. It's been a good nine months. Praise God for these nine months. But the key figures of the Bible are going to conclude. Um, We got a little graphic up here that we've been looking at uh, that we've just kind of walked all the way through. Uh, We started there in the Old Testament. We actually started with Abraham. It was the first key uh, figure of the Bible. And so we worked all the way through Exodus to where the the people of God, they came up out of Egypt and then they crossed the Jordan River into the promised land there and and began to drive out the enemy. And uh, then they got their little uh, group people established there, judges, and then the kingdom. They said, you know, we want a king. And they they named Saul as the first king. And then it was uh, David came after that, Solomon. We talked about all of those kings. And then uh, the people of God, they turned their back on God. And when they did that, they were conquered by the Babylonians and the Assyrians, and they were taken into captivity there in exile. And then finally they get together, they come back, they return back to their land. And, and then we talk about the period of silence, that there were 400 years, 400 years of silence from the, the prophet Malachi into uh, the Gospels there, 400 years of silence. And then we've been looking at the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and uh, we've been, uh, been looking at the church being established. We've talked about James, the brother of Jesus, and and some of the disciples and all of those, and and now we're moving on into into the future. And, you know, I'm so glad that the book of Acts did not stop uh, in the 28th chapter of the book, that the book of Acts is still being lived out today. The action of the apostles, the action of the disciples of Jesus on the earth is still being fulfilled today. How many of you understand the gospel message is still going forth? The unreached are still being reached. Miracles Miracles are still happening. People are still being saved. The kingdom of God is still being established on the earth. And that's what we've all been called to be a part of. And so, so tonight we're going to begin to wrap this up. Uh, and we're going to wrap this up with the one who was there in the beginning and the one who's going to be there all the way in the end, and that is Jesus. And, and, and we're going to give Jesus two weeks, okay? This week and next week, we're going to be talking about Jesus. Uh, let's go to John chapter 1. John chapter 1. Uh, we're going to read a few, uh, a few passages of Scripture. And then we're going to dive into some of the significant things about Jesus. Let's go to John chapter 1. Starting in in verse 1, it says this. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. He came into the very, skipping down now to verse 10. He came into the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He came to his own people, and even they rejected him. But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. 
So the word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. What a beautiful passage of Scripture. It starts there by saying that in the beginning, the Word already existed. You know, you, you, just, you just wait for that moment when someone asks you, uh, and your, your kids, Carolina Lee, my six-year-old, just asked me this question uh, a couple weeks ago. And she said, uh, God, Dad, where, where did God come from? Um, well, you see... That's a complicated question that a six-year-old can't understand because your dad is 39 years old. <laughs> and I, and I, can't, I can't quite. What God already existed, where did God come from? God can't come from anything because he's the one that created everything. He, he was here long before, and it says this about Jesus. And, and sometimes when we read the text, we just see that Jesus was, was born, and Jesus lived, and Jesus died, and he was resurrected. And we forget that, no, Jesus has been here all along. Jesus is throughout the world. You can find Jesus in the book of Genesis. You can find Jesus in the book of Lamentations. You, you can find Jesus in Isaiah, and you can find Jesus in Hosea. You can find Jesus all throughout the Old Testament. You can see Jesus. Why? Because he was in the beginning, and he's going to be there in the very end. Jesus' life, his existence was way more than just his 33 years on this earth. So he, he came in the beginning, he, he was already here. It says, it says there in the passage that he came into the world that he created. I mean, come on, somebody. He came into the world that he created. He created the world. He formed the world. He fashioned the world. And then he stepped into his own creation. Jesus has been here for so long, long before he was walking the streets of Nazareth, long before he was preaching in Jerusalem, long before he ever went to the cross at Golgotha, long before any of that happened, Jesus was already doing stuff on the earth. And so I just want to point out four significant things so we, we understand, just so we recognize tonight that, that this isn't the beginning of Jesus' story, but I, I want to talk about Jesus being here on the earth, four significant things of Jesus' life here on the earth. The first significant thing that we have in the life of Jesus is we have a supernatural birth, a supernatural birth. This is what the scripture says in Luke chapter 1. Verse 26, it says, in the sixth month of, of, of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent an angel, Gabriel, to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary. She was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Gabriel appeared to her and said, greetings, favored woman, the Lord is with you. Confused and disturbed, Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her, for you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth. You have found you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be very great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. Mary asked the angel, but how can this 
happen. Okay, there's a lot of reasons why. She says, well, how can this happen? I am a virgin. And the angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy, and he will be called the Son of God. You see, God was looking for a way to get the promised one, to get the Messiah, to get his son into the earth. God was looking for a way to get his miracle into the world, and he found this Hebrew teenager. And, and there's a few things that, that, that God needed. One, God needed God needed a Hebrew. He, he needed an Israelite. He needed somebody from his people. And so he found that in Mary. Not only that, but he also needed a virgin. He needed a virgin womb. And so he found that in Mary as well. But he didn't just need a Hebrew, and he didn't just need a virgin womb. He also needed some willingness. And when he found Mary, and he came down with this proposition with Mary, and he says, okay, this is what's going to happen. God is going to use you to be the conduit to get his son here into this earth. You will carry the son of God in your womb. The, th the response that Mary has is, is, Lord, whatever you say, so be it as you have said to me. It, it, I, I want whatever you want, and if this is what you want for me, that's what I want for me. I am in. I am all in. Whatever you say, God, let it happen just the way that you just told me that it would happen. And you see, sometimes God is, is looking for some things, but maybe we're not in position. Mary was in position. Mary was in position. She was at the right time, at the right place, and she was ready to receive what God wanted to give her. And so God said, I'm, I'm looking for somebody to carry my son. And it's interesting. He says that, that, that he will be called the son of God. Why? Because God will be his father. And because God is his father, he will be holy. It's the difference between what we're reading here and then our story because the, the Bible tells us that, that we are born into sin. But Jesus was born to destroy sin. You see, you, you and me, we were born into the sin of Adam, but Jesus was born as the second Adam. Jesus was born what the scripture refers to as the second Adam. The first Adam came in, came in and and how many of you know? He messed it up, okay? He screwed it up for us all. You can, you can punch him if you want to when you get there. And he messed it up for us all, and God says, no, I'm going to send another one. There's going to be a second Adam. We're going to redo this, and I'm going to send my own son, and he's not going to mess it up. He's not going to take the fruit. He's not going to take a bite out of it. He's not going to mess it up. No, he will remain holy all of his days, and it will be through him that I established a brand new lineage in this earth. I will set up a brand new kingdom and a brand new group and it will come through this second Adam. But you see, we have to understand that we are born into sin, but not Jesus. God was his father. That's why he had to have a virgin womb, because God had to be his father. Because if she had been sleeping with other people, they could say, well, he's the dad. No, 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 that's, that's, that's not going to happen. God said, I will be his father, and because I am his father, he will be holy. He won't be like anybody else. He's going to be holy. And so we know that as we're and as we come into this Christmas season and we focus on the Christmas story, it's found in Luke chapter 2. And this is what the Bible says. And they, they've just had a journey, man. Joseph and Mary, they've just had this uh, journey because they, they're taking the census. And so they've journeyed now from, from Nazareth. And they've made this journey all the way to, to Bethlehem because uh, Joseph was, uh, was a, a descendant of David. And that was his, his hometown. That was where 
uh, he, he's from, so he's got to go back to Bethlehem. So they've made this journey to Bethlehem, and as she's there, she gives birth. It says in chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 7, it says, She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly in strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there was no lodging available for them. That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them, and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified, but the angel reassured them, Do not be afraid, he said. I will bring, I bring you good news that will bring great joy to all people. The Savior, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David, and you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth, lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. You see, when, 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 when the angel comes out of the birthing room to make the birth announcement, and then the angelic choir shows up to be the background music of the celebration, how do you understand this is a pretty big deal? It's a pretty big deal when the angel, when the angel, I mean, if you're in the waiting room, okay, you're in the waiting room and your, your cousin is giving birth and you're in the waiting room and it's not the doctor that comes out, it's not the nurse that comes out, it's not the spouse that comes out, but the angel of God comes out to make the announcement and you just know, hey, that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And if that wasn't enough, like they were already terrified, the angel had to say, hey, don't, don't be afraid. If that wasn't enough, now a whole heavenly choir comes in by, la, 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 la. I mean, I don't no, I mean, it just sounded, just singing the praise of God, it would have been overwhelming, so much so that, that, that the shepherd said, man, we got to go see this. I can't, just, I can't just have an angel make an announcement and not go see this baby. I, I, I've got to go see what they are talking about. And we know that the, these shepherds, they, they went to see Jesus, and then the wise men came to worship him, and they brought gifts and laid them there at Mary's feet. And not only that, this entrance was such a big deal that not only did the shepherds show up, and not only did the wise men come to worship, but, but King Herod tried to kill him. King Herod tried to kill him because it was such a big deal that the wise men uh, just happened to stop by King, per King Herod's palace, and they said, hey, uh, where, where is this Savior, this king is to be born? And Herod said, um, what, what are you talking about, King? I am the king. They said, no, 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 no. We're talking about the prophecies from the Old Testament. There would be a king, and he would be the greatest king. And they start telling this to Herod, and, and he tells the wise men, he says, okay, you go find him, and once you find him, why don't you come back to me and tell me where he is? so that I can go worship him as well. But King Herod already had determined in his heart he was not going to worship. He was going to kill Jesus. And, and uh, the wise men, they have a vision that says, no, don't go back to him. Don't go tell him. You go, you go another route. And so they take another route. Then finally King Herod realizes, oh, they're not going to come back and tell me. And so King Herod actually goes out and, uh, and he, he begins to kill all the boys under, you know, under two years old uh, there. But, but, but having you know, understand, God's always one step ahead of the enemy. And God, God speaks to, to Jesus' parents and says, hey, why don't you go to Egypt for a little while? Because there's about to be some bad things happening. So they, they go to Egypt and the baby's safe. And, and I mean, you could preach on that uh, all you wanted to. Uh, but you just need to know that this supernatural birth, it's important, not just for us. It was important for the world. It was, important for, it was important for the world. This supernatural birth would establish God's supernatural kingdom. It would release God's supernatural power on the earth. 
That's why, that's why the shepherds had to see it. That's why the angels came to make the announcement. That's why the wise men came and bowed down and they worshiped. That's why King Herod tried to kill it because the enemy will always try to kill something in its infancy because once you get up and once it begins to grow, the enemy knows he doesn't have a chance. That's why the enemy will always come after you before, before, before you get to where you're going, before you ever cross that finish line, before you ever get the, God always The enemy always wants to kill it in the beginning before it gains momentum and before it gets big and before people recognize it. So that's why the enemy was after Jesus while he was still in the manger, while he was still a babe. The enemy was trying to take it out because he knew if I let Jesus walk around this earth, he's going to start turning water into wine and the deaf are going to start hearing and the blind are going to start seeing and the lame are going to start walking and he's going to start forgiving sins. If I don't do something right now, he's going to be preaching a message of repentance and a message of forgiveness and he's going to be preaching. People are going to be responding and people are going to be believing and who knows what's going to happen after that. And so the enemy tried to kill him in the beginning. This was a supernatural birth that shook the world. It's a supernatural birth, and and the world would never be the same again because of the supernatural birth of Jesus. Here's the second thing that we see in in the life of Jesus, second important part, and that is a surrendered life, a surrendered life. We have supernatural birth, but then Jesus lived a surrendered life. This is what the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 6. It says, though he was God, Okay, it's important. It's important you understand that we could just stop right there. He was God. It's important for you to realize Jesus was not a good person. Jesus was not just better than me and you. He, he, he was not some Zen Buddha, conquered his own self. No, no, he was God. He was God. He was 100% God. He was 100% human because he came, he came through the birth canal of Mary. But let me tell you, he was 100% God because God was his father. He was 100% God. And the scripture says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Jesus surrendered his divinity in order to be wrapped in humanity. Jesus showed us humility in his humanity. That, that's how we know that Jesus was humble because he walked out of all the privilege of heaven and he stepped into humanity and that was enough for all of us to see the heart of God and to experience the spirit of Jesus because he would walk in so much humility that although he was God, he would not cling to that identity. He would say, no, wait a minute, I'm going to put this on the back burner for right now so that I can step in humanity because they need me so bad. They need me to come. They need my message. They need my sacrifice. They need what I'm going to bring. And it was his humility that he gave up his divinity so that he can embrace humanity. He gave up what belonged to him so that he might become one of us. It belonged to him. Now, let me just understand, uh, you know, sometimes you, you have privileges that they don't really belong to you. You know, you, 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 you've got some rights that they might not really belong to you, but, but it belonged to Jesus. Jesus had the right to be God. He had the privilege of being God because he 
was God. He had that right, but but he did not he did not hold on to that. He gave up what belonged to him so that he could become one of us. And he was obedient to God. The scripture says he was obedient to God all the way to the cross. He was obedient to God all the way to the cross. He was not just obedient to God on the cross. He was obedient through life all the way until the cross. Jesus lived a surrendered life. Jesus' life was so much more than just what we talk about most times. It was so much more than the manger. It was so much more than just the miracles. And it was so much more than just the cross. That, that's what we talk about when we tell the story of Jesus. We talk about the manger. We talk about the cross and the resurrection. And we preach about the miracles. But how many understand Jesus was here on this earth for 33 years? There was a whole lot more happening in Jesus' life than just those few moments. This is what the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. This high priest of ours, speaking of Jesus, understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. Jesus lived a life. 33 years of life, 33 years of saying no to what he needed to say no to and saying yes to what he needed to say yes to. 33 years of resisting temptation, 33 years of waking up early to pray, 33 years of fighting off frustration. I'm just going to, I'm just going to, I'm just going to, we're going to take a time out. Des and I just, we were in um, uh, Macomb, Mississippi this, this past weekend preaching for one of our friends, Todd Foster. We had, a, we had a fabulous weekend. They had the very first men's meeting that they had ever had, and I did that. And they had a, um, a little holiday Christmas tea. Destiny spoke to um, all the women, and then we preached three services on the weekend. A church they just planted three years ago. They're already running about 800 people on the weekend. God's just doing amazing things, and and so we were we were there, and and you know we were driving home, and Destiny and I were just talking about uh, about the frustration, just just frustrations of 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 just some of the decisions that people make. I mean, you just be like you would just be. Come on, you Wednesday night, you Wednesday night faithful. Just frustration with, with, with like, do, do people read their Bible? Because if they read their Bible, why would they do that? If, if people really prayed, I mean, just, just frustration. And then me and Destiny started talking about how frustrated was Jesus <laughs> when he's walking around with, well, James and John and Peter and Andrew and James and John are fighting about, I want to be in the next to Jesus. I want to be next to Jesus. I mean, it's like Carolina Lee and Juju. <laughs> These are grown men, though. I mean, and then you got, I mean, you got Simon Peter. He just, he just messing up more stuff than you can even imagine. And that's just what's written down there. How many more things did he mess up that aren't even in the book? Don't you think that Jesus with his frustration, Jesus spent 33 years fighting off frustration, walking around with God's people going, God, you, y'all don't even understand what these sacrifices are all about. 
Ah, oh, you don't even understand. Ah, oh, I hear you talking about God. You don't know anything about God. You don't even know the Father. Oh, gosh, I, didn't, I am God. You don't know. Oh, man, God. Can we understand the Pharisees are over there? Oh, we don't. We, 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 why, do, why do you not wash your hands? We don't understand. Why do you not? And Jesus is going, wash your hands. What are you talking about? Wash your hands. You got all this buildup in your heart. You're filthy and you're nasty. You know, frustration. I mean, just real frustration. I mean, I, I, I feel that. And, 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 and 33 years of it, 33 years of frustration. Even as a 12-year-old, Jesus was in the temple teaching, confounding the wise. 33 years explaining to them the Proverbs, blowing their minds. And his mom and dad are like, why are you not in the caravan? I'm like, I'm sorry, I didn't, I, I just, I was in my father's house. I know, golly, you're not going to understand this, but that's okay. 33 years of just fighting frustration. Being frustrated. Man, when are you going to when are you going to get this? When are you going to understand this? When, when are you going to see this? But, but, but here's why Jesus is fighting the frustration. This is why he's overcoming. This is why he keeps on believing. Because here is, here is John. We see it in the scripture. He's arguing about, I want to be at your right hand, and I want to be the most important person and all this. But then John gets, gets ready to write his gospel, and he said he was the word that existed in the very beginning. He is, and he begins to speak about Jesus in such a profound way that just blows your mind and you say how did he get there because Jesus fought off his frustration Jesus didn't cut John out of the picture he said John you don't get it I'm giving up on every one of you you just go out there and do life however you want to do it I'll go on this journey by myself no he kept fighting the frustration for 33 years bringing them along the journey for the last three years of his life as he had these 12 disciples that were going everywhere with him because he knew that one day John would get a pen and paper and he would begin to write on this scroll and he knew that it would be preserved for all time and that today we would be reading the words of John and it would be transforming our hearts because he fought off frustration. That's how we lived, a surrendered life, fighting off frustration, not quitting, not giving up. 33 years of loving, 33 years of giving, 33 years of helping, 33 years of leading, 33 years. Jesus just laid it all out there. A surrendered life for 33 years. You say, well, what's the key to living that surrendered life? I believe we, we, we see the key in, in Matthew chapter 26. This is right before Jesus is getting ready to be arrested. He's going to go to the cross just days after this, and he's praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in verse 39, Scripture says he went a little further from, from the disciples and he bowed his face to the ground saying, My father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet I want your will to be done and not mine. What is the key to living the surrender life? It's praying this prayer. Father, not my will, I want your will to be done in my life. Father, let this cup of suffering be taken away from me, yet not what I want, but what you want. 
And, and this is, uh, we, of course, you know, the, you, know, you know the end of the story. Jesus, Jesus drank from that cup of suffering, but he, he was feeling the weight of this in this moment. And the Bible says that he was troubled all the way down to his soul, that he was in deep anguish is what the Scripture says. And it was in that deep anguish that he could feel what was about to happen. And so he says, God, if there's another way, let's take that route. But God's saying, no, there's not another way. This is the only way. And Jesus saying, okay, if this is the only way, I don't want what I want. I want only what you want. And do you know sometimes the only way for you to get where God's trying to take you is through the cup of suffering? And we say, God, please take this cup for me. And God said, no, I'm the one that filled that cup up. God, 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 please, please don't, I, I, I can't bear this anymore. And God said, well, no, I actually, I filled it up for, for you to drink it because when you drink it, my will is going to become, I know you can't see it right now, but when you get on the other side of it, it's all going to be clear. When, once it's all over, you're going to look back over your shoulder and you're going to see, wow, now I understand. Now I see what God was doing. Now I, now I understand everything that happened. And we understand this in the Apostle Paul's life. Because the Apostle Paul said, I had this thorn in my flesh and I prayed three different times, Lord, take this away from me. Interesting, we're about to read that Jesus prayed three times in the garden. Paul says, I prayed three times that this thorn, this pain, and here's the thing, I love it that Paul doesn't tell us what it is. Because if he would have told us what his thorn is, we could say, oh, I don't have that thorn. But you know what everybody has? Everybody has a thorn. Everybody has something in their life that's causing them a little pain. It's causing them a little uncomfortability. It's causing them a, a little discomfort. And, and we have that. Why? Because God says, I want to use even your pain, and I want to use even your suffering, and I want to use even your difficult things for my kingdom and my glory. And that's why, like Jesus, we must live a surrender life. And the only way you get to live a surrender life is when you pray, God, not my will, because if it was up to me, I would walk away from that thorn, and I would walk away from that cup, but God, not your will, not my will, let your will be done in my life. And this is what the Bible says in, in verse 44, just a few verses later. It says, so he went to pray a third time. This is Jesus. This is the Son of God. This is him going to pray a third time. And you think, well, did he pray another prayer? No, the Bible says this. He was saying the same things again. Jesus going back a third time. He's already been the second time. Now he's going back a third time. And he's praying the same thing again. You see, a surrendered life starts with the decision, but it will only be carried out through determination. It starts with a decision. I will surrender my life to God. It starts with a decision, but a decision will not keep you. The decision you make on Sunday morning, the decision you make on Thursday afternoon, how, how many of you have ever made a decision, I'm going to stop doing this? I made a decision. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to eat healthy. I'm going to exercise. I'm not going to gossip anymore. Okay, I mean, we say, I'm going to start. I'm going to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing that. And and we and we say these things, and we make a decision. But the decision doesn't keep you. 
Only determination is going to keep you. What does determination look like? It looks like praying over and over again. That's what determined. Jesus is showing us what determination looks like. Going back, praying over and over again, saying, God, not my will, let your will be done. Not my way, God, I want to do life your way. I don't know if you've noticed yet or not, but your will keeps trying to creep back into your life. I make a decision, God, not my will, but your will. But it just like that, that will, it keeps trying to like come back up. <laughs> He's trying to fight back to the front. They don't like being dead. They don't like being on the background. It keeps fighting for that prime position. And, and then we see this. If Jesus had to pray three times, then you might have to pray more than once. If Jesus had to go pray the same prayer three times, then it's okay for you to have to pray more than once. Don't be disappointed when you don't get everything you need in your first prayer. Be willing to pray again. Well, we've been talking about it all year, the power of the again. Your gain is in your again. Your gain is in your, when you pray again, when you believe again, when you try again, that's where you, you experience your gain. You experience your gain in your again. And if Jesus had to go and pray again, he had to pray three times. He, he, he did that, I believe, as, as a model for each and every one of us that, hey, the first time, you might not get your breakthrough. The second time, you might not get what you're looking for. But go ahead and go back a third time because that's what determination looks like to live a surrendered life. That's the sign of a surrendered life. Here's the third thing that we see in Jesus' life. The third thing, we, we see the supernatural birth, we see the surrendered life, and now we see a sacrificial death. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous. To bring you to God, he was put to death in the body, but made alive in the spirit. He suffered once for sins. He suffered, one, he suffered once for sins. I don't know how many of you ever remember, uh, ever remember Ray, Ray Bolts. Anybody remember Ray Bolts, the singer? Okay, we got, like a few, we got a few Ray Bolts fans in the house. You know, some people like raising their hand like, yeah, I kind of heard it. And then somebody like, oh, yeah, I love Ray. You know, you got some Ray Bolts fans here. Um, he used to sing the song, Does He Still Feel the Nails? Does he, uh, uh, <clears throat> no, no, we, no, no, Pastor Clueless is not going to let me sing tonight, okay? She's not going to let it happen. She will come karate chop me in the Adam's apple before I sing. But this is the, this is the lyrics. It says, uh, does he still feel the nails every time I fail? Do, no, Ray, he doesn't. <laughs> that, that's a that sounds like a good song and it makes people cry. You get a good emotional response out of the crowd when you see that song. I don't want to hurt Jesus again. That's <laughs> yeah, a great song, Ray, but it's not biblical. Does he still feel the nails? No, the Bible says he suffered once. He suffered one time. And he's not suffering anymore. He's not feeling the nails anymore. He's not feeling the pain anymore. He suffered once for all mankind. Once and only once is what he suffered. The righteous for the unrighteous. Goes on later in, in uh, or a little bit before that in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24. It says, he personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. 
It says, by his wounds you are healed. You see, he took our sin and he took our place. Jesus did not just die for you, Jesus died as you. Jesus was the substitution for you. Because this is what the Bible says in the book of Romans. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The price that you have to pay for sin is death. And and so what Jesus did is Jesus came to pay the price. The price was death. Jesus said, I'm going to come pay the price for your life so that you don't have to die, so that you don't have to experience eternal separation from me because that is the cost of your sin. Now I'm going to come and I'm going to to pay that in advance for you so that you don't have to pay this price. The the wages of sin surely is death, but it was Jesus' death on the cross and him taking your place so that today you don't have to live apart from God. Today you can live connected to God because he paid the price. He, He carried our sins. He carried our sins. He took our place. He was the righteous standing in for the unrighteous so that we could get his right. It's the great exchange. It's it's what happens there. Jesus took our sin. We got his righteousness. He He went to the cross sinless. We are standing today sinful. There was the great exchange of him taking our sin and saying, now when I look at you, I don't see the sinfulness of your life. I just see my righteousness. I see what I gave you. I see what I clothed you in. I see what I gave you on the cross whenever we traded places. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, it says, For God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. God gave Jesus what he did not deserve so that we could have what we would never deserve. That's what happened in the sacrificial death of Christ. God gave Jesus what he did not deserve. He did not deserve death. He had lived without sin, the scripture says. Without sin. He had never sinned. He did not deserve to die because the wages of sin is death. Jesus had never sinned, so he did not deserve death. We were the ones that deserved death, but it was Jesus coming to pay our price, to pay our cost, to give us what we did not deserve. He had to take what he didn't deserve. The one who was without sin, he's the one who became sin. And here, this is why this is so important, because the the Bible teaches us in the book of Hebrews that there is no forgiveness without the shedding of blood. So there there has to be the shedding of, of blood to fulfill the covenant. That's why John the Baptist, when he saw Jesus, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. He was saying, here is, the, here is the one that God sent to be sacrificed for the sin of the world. He will be a sacrificial offering. The, the sin of the world will be placed upon him, and he will die in the place of everyone, taking their sin upon himself on the cross and the blood that he sheds will be for their forgiveness. The Bible says in Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 you were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away then God made you alive with Christ for he forgave all your sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us, and he took it away 
by nailing it to the cross. <laughs> he forgave all your sins. He forgave your sins past, present, and future. All your sins. It doesn't say the sins that you have committed. Jesus died for all your sins. That's how you stand forgiven because I, I, am, I am forgiven tomorrow. I am forgiven next week. Why? Because Jesus came as the sacrifice once and for all, and it was his sacrificial death that took every one of my sins, and it nailed it to the cross. And you say, well, then what keeps me from just going on and keeping on sinning and keep on sinning? You see, the reason that I get to live the victorious life that I get to live is because he took all of my sin, and he took it, and he nailed it to the cross because I don't want to sin anymore because once I I have tasted of the Lord and found it to be good. Once I have experienced the life that he gave me, that he wants me to have, once I have tasted of his righteousness, once I have walked in his holiness, once I have experienced that in my life, I don't want anything more to do with my sin. I want everything to do with the life that he created me to live. And so it's my sin that he took and he put it on the cross and he nailed it there so that that sin would have no more power over over me in my life. It's the sacrificial death of Jesus. It makes me come alive because my sins are forgiven. Here's the, here's the last thing that we'll talk about tonight. The fourth thing in Jesus' life, and it is the secure resurrection. The secure resurrection. Matthew 16, verse 21 says, From then on Jesus began to tell his disciples plainly, that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and that he would suffer many terrible things at the hands of the elders and the leading priests and the teachers of the religious law. He would be killed, but on the third day, he would be raised from the dead. You know you're a bad mamma jamma whenever you, whenever you predict your death and your resurrection. Can we just, can we just say, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's bad. That's bad. I mean, I, I remember being on the basketball court, and I would feel real good. You know what I'm saying? When I got my guy, you know what? I mean, we don't want to boast tonight here in church. But for the sake of the story, I'll boast a little bit. You know, you, you got your guy on the court, and, and you're talking to him, right? You know, you're kind of talking back. We got this little trash talk going on. I wasn't always a pastor. And you got this trash talk going on, and, and, and you start telling the guy what you're about to do to him. I'm going to take you two dribbles to the left. I'm going to cross over, and I'm going to hit a fadeaway jumper in your face. Are you ready for it? Are you ready for it? Are you ready for this? Boom, boom, two dribbles to the left, cross over, fadeaway, boom, in the bucket. And you're like, bro, I told you. I told you what was about to happen. You can't stop me. I'm unstoppable. Come on, Jesus said, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. I, they're going to mistreat me. I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. But three days later, I'm coming up out of the grave. Now, I feel good about my crossover fadeaway jumper that I made. I ain't predicting my death and my resurrection. That's bad. He's got this. Resurrection, and we, we, we know there's too many stories of his resurrection. Too many people saw him. It wasn't just that his tomb was empty and they thought, oh, he must have he gone up to heaven. 
No, 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 that's not it. He, he appeared to multiple people. He, he appeared to Mary Magdalene. He appeared to the disciples. He came walking right through the locked door, and, and then he came back because Thomas wasn't there, and Thomas wasn't believing. When the disciples saw it, they said, we all saw it. I mean, don't you think if you believe your best friends, if all your best friends were around, said, man, we saw Jesus. Thomas was like, no, nah, not until I see, not until I put my hand right there in, in the wound. I want to put my, if he's got those nails, I want to put my hand in the wound. And then they seen Jesus like, Comes walking right through the door again, right? He's like, hey, Thomas, here I am. You know, he's like, ah, I believe, you know. And don't you know the other guys were like, dude, we told you, man, kicking him under the table. Like, come on, man, get your act together right now. You know, and, and you, you, you see he appeared to the disciples. He, he appeared, the Bible says he appeared to 500. He appeared to 500. We know that he appears to, to, to Paul as he was on his road to Damascus. It was his life-changing experience on that road. He, he, he was Saul. He was persecuting the church, and God appears to him. He becomes the apostle Paul. You see, it's, it's the, the secure resurrection. It's secure because he said it. It was secure. When he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be beaten, I'm going to die, but three days later, I'm coming up out of the grave. The resurrection was secure at that moment. He said it. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And when he speaks, he's speaking truth. And if he tells you what's about to happen, it's about to happen. It's a secure resurrection because he said it. Then we read in, in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 9, Paul is writing here to his spiritual son Timothy, and he tells him this. He says, for, for God saved us and called us to live a holy life. He did this not because we deserved it, but because that was his plan from before the beginning of time, to show us his grace through Christ Jesus. And now he has made all of this plain to us by the appearing of Christ Jesus, our Savior. He broke the power of death and illuminated the way to life and immortality through the good news. Through this resurrection... He broke the power of death, and he made the way to life. It's what he said. It's what he said in John 10.10. 10. He says, I have come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundantly. And you think, oh, wow, that's good. That's a cute saying. And then when he defeated death, hell, and the grave, all of a sudden now that has a whole different meaning to it because now death has no power over me anymore. Now that, that can't hold me back. Why? Because he's got the keys to it all. He has conquered it all. And now not only has he defeated death, but now he's illuminated my pathway to live the life that he created me to live. He said, this is why I came. I came so that you could have this life. Now, I've got to go through some things in order for you to get there. I've got to be beaten. I've got to be crucified. And I've got to come up out of the grave. But here's the reason that I came. I came from heaven to earth so that you could live this life, so that you could have an abundant life. And not just an abundant life. It says he illuminated the way to life and to immortality. That's letting you know that he didn't just come so that you could have abundant life here on earth. He came to open the door to eternal life in heaven so that you would never, ever have to face any separation from God, that you could live in the presence presence of God here on this earth, and when you take your last breath here, you step into the presence of God in heaven. Jesus said, this is why I came. You see, it's the secure resurrection, not just because he said it, it's the secure resurrection because he will do it. He said it and he will do it. He will show you abundant life. He will show you the way 
to eternal life. He will show you that it is a secure resurrection. It is a secure. It is secure. He said it. He did it. And he will lead you to the life that he created you to have. Let's go back to our first text and then we'll, we'll close. John chapter 1, verse 12. It says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. They are reborn, not with a physical birth resulting from human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. This is the amazing thing. When you believe in the supernatural birth, and you believe in Jesus' surrendered life, and when you believe in his sacrificial death on the cross, and you believe in the security of the resurrection, then you get to become a child of God. And you get to be reborn. You get to be born again. Not of human passion or plan, but a birth that comes from God. You get to be born into his kingdom. You get to be born into his life, abundant life, eternal life. That's the life that you get to be born into. Because you believe. You believe that Jesus is who he says he is. The one who was from the beginning. He was there in the beginning. That's what it says right there in the scripture that we just read. It says in, in back there in 2 Timothy, it says, because this was his plan from the beginning of time. From the beginning of time, this was his plan. Let me understand, God's not caught, caught off guard. That's not caught by surprise. Why? How would this have been the plan from the beginning of time? If Adam didn't sin, this wouldn't need to be the plan. If Eve wouldn't have taken that apple off the tree, taken a bite, handed it to Adam, Adam taking a bite of that same fruit. Well, what, 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 so, it says this was the plan. The plan from the beginning of time was Jesus, but, but Jesus would have been unnecessary. If Adam and Eve wouldn't have sinned, it would have been unnecessary. How many have said God's not caught off guard? God wasn't surprised. God wasn't freaking out in Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> the fall of humanity. God, God's not freaking out. Why? Because God said, eh, it's a plan from the beginning. It's a plan from the beginning. It's so good. Because the enemy thought he had won. The enemy thought it was over. God, you just created them in your image, and it just took me a little while, and they're already eating things that you told them not to eat. I've already I've won the battle. I've won the fight. This is over. What the enemy doesn't understand is, no, God, God's got a plan for that. In the beginning of time, when it was just the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the plan was already in place. They weren't caught off guard by the sin of Adam. 
or surprised by the fall of mankind. And can I just tell you, God's not surprised by your sin either. God's not, he's not surprised by where you are in life. He's not up there going, oh man, what are we going to do now? What are, I, man, I, was, I wasn't expecting her to do that. I wasn't expecting him to say that. I, I wasn't expecting him to go there. Man, I, what, are, what are we going to do now? No, God's not surprised. It was the plan from the beginning. God had a plan in the beginning. You know what? God's got a plan in your situation too. God's got a plan. He's got a plan. He's got a plan. God's got a plan for it all. What we have to do is we have to believe. We have to believe. And when we believe, we get reborn into this world where God is in control. We get reborn into this world where God is going to fight my battles. We get reborn into this world where God is my protection. God is my provision. God is my way maker. I get born into this world and God becomes my shelter and God becomes my strong tower. I get born into this world and God becomes everything that I need. He becomes my all in all. I get born into this world and when I get reborn into this world, all of a sudden I find a brand new existence. what Jesus came to do. Amen? Come on, you stand with me tonight. Bow your heads just for a moment. Come on, it's a, it was a supernatural birth 2,000 years ago. And then Jesus living a surrendered life, a sinless life. And he lived that life for you and for me because he knew that when he got to the cross, he had to be without sin so that he could become the offering for your sin. Jesus was living every day for you, resisting temptation for you, fighting frustration for you, praying to the Father, surrendering to the will of the Father, surrendering to the way of the Father, praying for the wisdom of the Father, the direction of the Father. Surrendered life. And he lived a sacrificial death, going to the cross, shedding his blood, taking your sin upon him so that he could nail it there to that cross so that that sin would have no more power. And then he had a secure resurrection. He said it. He did it. And because of that, he will take you to the life that you were created to live, a life of abundance, a life of eternity with God. Oh, if you believe that tonight, if you believe that tonight, if you believe in that tonight, 
you to do is I just want you to lift both hands towards heaven right now. I believe in the supernatural birth. I believe that Jesus lived that surrendered life. I believe in his sacrificial death for me. I believe in that secure resurrection. And with your hands lifted, this is what you need to know. Jesus came up out of the tomb so he could pull you up out of your despair. Jesus got up and Jesus established a secure foundation. And with your hands lifted right now, I want you to know that your feet are on a firm, secure foundation because that's the foundation that Jesus created for you. You don't have to live in fear. You don't have to live with anxiety. You don't have to live with jealousy. You don't have to live in sin. Why? Because you're on a firm foundation right now. You're on a secure foundation. Because there was a secure resurrection, you can live on a secure foundation. With hands lifted towards heaven, your feet are on the solid rock. Your feet are on the solid rock of Jesus Christ. He is your foundation. He is your cornerstone. And we can say we believe tonight with hands lifted and our feet firm Firmly planted in the security of knowing him and walking with him tonight. Father, it's with hands lifted tonight that we say we believe. We believe the gospel story. We believe your word. And because we believe your word, God, let your word be the rock and the foundation that we stand upon. Because we believe tonight, God, let your truth be our foundation. Because we believe tonight, let the abundant life be the life that we live. Because we believe tonight, oh God, let us find ourselves firmly planted and deeply rooted, God, in what you have created us for. Security, God, of knowing you, of loving you, of walking with you and of living every day for you. Jesus, we believe you existed from the beginning and you will carry us all the way to the end. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray and believe tonight. Come on, if you believe it, put your hands together. Give God some praise on this Wednesday night.